0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're going to get down to it. We're going to get down to all about Alzheimer's, Down syndrome, Lou Mind, and we're going to be speaking with Dr. James Hendricks, who specializes in a sub, sub, sub specialty of dementia relating to Down syndrome. But as we're going to see, this opens up a lot of doors. Jim, welcome. Thanks for coming.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So I remember when I spoke down at the uh, first ever NDSS adult summit, I was astounded at that time to find that almost half of them were going on to get Alzheimer's disease. And the last time you and I spoke, I think you said, heck, you're a little bit out of date. It's up to 60%. Why don't we use that as a starting point?
0: So, some recent literature now is indicating it's more on the order of 90% of the population by the time someone gets to be 68 years old. Um, and that's just, just huge numbers. So compare that to the general population. Alzheimer's disease is most likely uh, occurs in people 65 and older. If you're 65 in the general population, your risk of Alzheimer's disease is between 10 to 12%. Um, so in you know whether it's 60, 70, 90%, it, it's still a, a crisis situation in the down population
1: now why don't you introduce yourself properly because i didn't give all of your accolades and degrees and everything else uh,
0: uh <laughs> well i have a um I have, I have a phd so that's the most important thing to note i'm not a medical doctor i'm a scientist um i worked uh, many years in the pharmaceutical industry about 20 years uh, before uh leaving the industry and and, and i worked for the alzheimer's association for about four and a half years on the science team there and i've been with Lumind idsc foundation um, as the chief science officer um, at this uh, organization for about two and a half years and Lumind idsc is is focused on uh, research on uh, in down syndrome and trying to come up with um, uh, new and effective uh, treatments to improve in uh, the quality of life for people with down syndrome and, and increase the the, the lifespan, if if possible.
1: Let's talk about the terrific people at the Special Olympics, because they tackle socialization, exercise, education about diet, and all of of the things. Socialization, I think you would agree, is one of the most underrated things about dementias of all kinds.
0: Yeah, I think... um, uh, you know, it, the, thing with, the thing with Down syndrome um, and Alzheimer's disease is it's really driven by the genetics. Um, so people with Down syndrome have three copies of chromosome 21. That's, what, that's why they're, they have Down syndrome. And um, we know that Alzheimer's disease is um, likely caused by um, what's known as amyloid plaques and tau tangles. And the amyloid is is from a, 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 pep, a group of peptides known as amyloid beta and they're produced by the gene the amyloid precursor protein gene the amyloid precursor protein gene is on chromosome 21. so basically people with down syndrome are producing more amyloid than people in the general population because they have this extra dose if you will in their in their genetics um and so that's why they get Alzheimer's disease at such a high rate and, and at such a, um earlier age. Now, diet, exercise, socialization—all of those things might help delay the onset of Alzheimer's. I certainly think it improves your quality of life in many, many ways, uh, other than preventing, you know, maybe delaying the onset of Alzheimer's disease. So I, you know, I I, I could go on and on about those things, but. I think in in the case of Down syndrome, it's not a matter of of if. It's probably for most people, it's a matter of when. Is it going to be sooner or later? And that's why we need new new treatments to make it. So when I say later, maybe it's uh, you know when you get when you're 120 years old, if you're lucky, if you live that long. No, nobody lives that long. So basically. You die without ever having Alzheimer's disease.
1: What is the segue from that into the medical ethics of the CRISPR and other technologies becoming available?
0: Well, yeah. So one of the so so the, the CRISPR um, gene editing um, right now the technology is only able to to edit a single gene. So if you you know, if if you have a person who has a single genetic mutation, one single gene, um, then the CRISPR could theoretically um, use, use that technology to edit, to edit that, that gene and, and uh, eliminate that mutation, and then person could live normally. Um, for an entire chromosome, um, it's a different technology that you would have to use. But however, I should say, If you were able to silence one of the extra copies of APP, the amyloid protein gene, and and a person then, in effect, only had two copies of APP, then their risk for Alzheimer's disease wouldn't be zero, but it would be the same as you or I, right? it It would be the same as anybody that has only two copies of APP. So that's something that, maybe could happen uh, I think we're still a ways away from that but um but from a from an ethics point of view I think the question is um it, it always comes down to the risk benefit and um and if you're focused on the treatment of a disease versus the um, you know th- things that are enhancing somebody or Fundamentally changing something and so you know for, for for you and I if we suddenly we wanted to, to edit our ge- genetics so we had hair right on our heads right? I'm not sure that there's ethics the ethics would would um, justify that kind of a risk but if you're talking about a, a, a deadly disease and and there is recent literature that's shown that Alzheimer's is the number one cause of death for people with down for adults with Down syndrome the number one cause of death for adults with Down
1: Well, it's, it's tough stuff. Let me ask you this about, you brought up this interesting mechanism for the CTE. and mm-hmm. um, Back when I was boxing and getting all this publicity and Good Morning America and everything, because I was an MD people think I knew about this stuff and I'm just an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> You're the PhD. I'm just a Johnny come lately to all this. But, but back then when I was a young man of 40 or 50, what, that was like our, so old when I was boxing, you know? Um, but people used to send me literature from all around the world because they thought I knew something. <laughs> and one of the most interesting set of papers I got was from Norway. And they, um, they had a hypothesis they were testing that <clears throat> you know, professional boxing was illegal in Scandinavia. So they were, they were testing the hypothesis that um, boxing should be outlawed because it causes changes in function in your brain. And so they designed a really neat study with all these different sports, okay? Um, Boxing came in third. Uh, Soccer came in second. And I would never have guessed in a million years what came in first. Sprinters, female sprinters. Why was that? The only thing i could think of and i haven't seen it reproduced anywhere is what you were just saying about the mechanism you're going from zero to 100 miles an hour in a second your brain is sloshing around in this fluid and but they were measuring different all different changes like uh, uh changes in handwriting over years uh i wish i had the actual citation for you but it, it made me think about that mechanism and the way your brain and which, you, by the way, made me feel in boxing, that headgear made sparring worse because you bounced your head around. More. It's, you know, protecting your skull, but your brain would bounce around more. So,
0: Yeah, I, I've not seen that data. I've seen, I've seen some data from uh, on youth or high school level athletes in the U.S., and the number one risk was, was American football. Number two was was uh, girls soccer. And there was a there is a hypothesis that that's um, tied to neck neck strength. So um, if a young girl is running down the soccer pitch and slips and falls backwards, her head slams into the turf. You know she'll get a concussion but if she has a stronger neck, she might be able to brace herself so her head doesn't snap back. They call it the bobblehead effect. And so one of the ideas was that that we need to encourage, um, you know, neck strengthening exercises as a way of of, um, improving uh, safety. Um, And of course, the other areas that that have been talked about a lot are heading of the ball, and um, corner kicks where kids jump and elbow each other and maybe elbow each other in the head. So there's there's things that, that, that you can do, I think, to um, help with the safety of, of some of these sports, but you have to understand, you have to have a better understanding of what the causes are, right? Uh, just like what we were saying about American football, okay, yeah, you can, you can make more high-tech helmets, but if you don't actually solve the problem, what are you doing? Um, and, and you talked about subconclusive blows and the repeated blows. I, I also worry about that. And I worry about the kid. Matt, you, know, you, you were an athletic kid, I'm sure. Now imagine the kid that plays football in the fall, ice hockey in the winter, and lacrosse in the spring. And slips a little rugby in there, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so you've got a coach in each one that maybe is different from the other one. And there may be, maybe they're, trying to protect their kids are doing the right things they are trying to protect them and hold them out and not give them too much contact but the the cumulative effect of all of those sports on top of one another is you know could really be detrimental down the line and so I think we we have to think about that too um so it's a um it's a big issue and and there was also a a paper out of Sweden from Several years ago, where they looked at um, it was um, Henrik Zetterberg, who's an excellent um, uh, expert on Alzheimer's biomarkers, and he did a study with professional hockey players in Sweden, looking at um, their levels of, of tau uh, protein in the in their cerebral spinal fluid. So people would get a lumbar puncture, or what's known as a spinal tap, and they would pull the fluid out and they would look at see what the tau levels were, and particularly they, they Way up right after a concussion, and so he published his interim results. He hadn't finished the study, and the uh, the hockey league didn't like what they saw, and they pulled his funding and they barred him from continuing with the research. But that's the that's the the thing that separates CTE from Alzheimer's disease. Is CTE is really driven by the tau and really only by the tau, and Alzheimer's is is a combination of amyloid and tau together. So it's really a different. Entity, it's in and of itself. It's a different cause of the of the dementia, and that's why you also see it. Um, sometimes you'll see it at a younger age with with um, people who've had a history of head injury or traumatic brain injury.
1: How did that. you get into evolve into lumind Mind?
0: <laughs> well, I was like I said, I worked at the Alzheimer's Association on the science team there, and um uh, our our New uh, Mind just went through a. Change its CEO and our, our CEO is Hampus Hillerstrom who came from a pharma background as as did I and um, He really wanted to change the the culture at Lumind and and get it to be more um, Collaborative with with respect to um, getting companies interested um, in, in Forwarding the research and so he went out and recruited me. I I'd never um really known much about down syndrome to be honest i just knew a lot about alzheimer's disease but i have to tell you haggie it's been a great experience i've been so enriched and so fortunate to work in this field i mean before covid when i still got to go to in-person meetings the biggest i'd say the biggest difference between going to an alzheimer's conference with um with families and patients uh, versus going to a down syndrome conference with families and 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 People with Down syndrome is the hugs. You get so many hugs from people with Down syndrome. Um, they're just such a loving, lovely people, and it, it, it's such. um You know, some people they they, they communicate. They're, they're, they have some communication challenges, but they want to show their gratitude, so they just give you a hug. And I, I was just thought to myself over and over again: if, if the rest of the world was like people with Down syndrome, we it would be much better. We live in a much better world. I just it's um, so. I, I have been very much enriched by this experience, and um, I really am grateful for the opportunity to work in um, work at Blue Mind and work with people with Down syndrome.
1: Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Um, what is the biggest thing that people like me don't know about? down syndrome
0: well whenever i say we're talking about the link between down syndrome and alzheimer's disease people are shocked people just don't know the other one i think is there they one that you mentioned at the top too is that many people are surprised at how uh, at the life expectancy and how that's changed um if you if you think about it you know i'm a scientist i think about this this generation of people who are 40 who are 40 years of age or older with down syndrome this is basically a new generation of people that have never previously lived on the earth. Maybe one or two snuck through, survived for one reason or another, but generally, people were dead with Down syndrome by the time they were 30. And just in the last couple of decades, we've been able, through lots of different, you know, better understanding of the medical issues and medical needs, been able to increase the life expectancy to. to, um, to over 60 years of around 60 years of age and, and maybe higher. So from a just from a purely curiosity perspective of a scientist, don't you think you want to understand those people and figure out what's going on with them? And um, you know, this problem with Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome is a new one because people didn't live long enough for it for them to get it. So it's a it's a terrible problem, but it's also in a way
1: good problem to have. What can different brains, based on your limited knowledge of our organization, do to be of help to you and Lou Mind and your missions?
0: Well, I think that the main thing is is that you need to talk up the importance of research. And, you know, people too often will say, why don't they cure Alzheimer's disease? Why can't they cure cancer? Why can't they? It's always they. Well, I got news for you. It's us, right? Because there's a role for the researcher. There's the role for the doctor. But if you're going to do a clinical trial, you can have funding. You can have a great idea. You can have a drug candidate. You can have everything you want. But if people don't volunteer to be in that trial and to do and to contribute, nothing happens. So. One of the challenges that we have, particularly in the the area of Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome, is finding adults who are older, 50, 60 years of age, who are willing and able to participate in a clinical trial. And one of the challenges that we have is that it, it goes back to this thing we were talking about, about the life expectancy. So much of the infrastructure for Down syndrome is focused on pediatrics. And only recently have we needed this adult, like the Adult Summit you talked about, the NDSS Adult Summit. There's only a few um, adult clinics that that are specialized to treat people with Down syndrome. It's estimated, there's a recent paper out that estimates only about 5% of the US population of adults with Down syndrome has access to a specialty clinic. So that means almost everybody else is at, you know, going to their primary care physician, the physician might be a good physician, but doesn't really understand the needs of a person with Down syndrome. We also, um, so we can't find them. We have a hard time finding them, and we can't, you know, you, you, you try to use social media or something like that. But there, if you're if you're a person in your 40s or 50s, your parents are in their 60s or 70s, and they're probably not on Twitter, <laughs> right? Or you're know, even Facebook. So we need to figure out ways of, of strategies to reach them and to then encourage them participated in, in clinical trials. it's been so great talking
1: to you how can people learn more about you and your work and your mission
0: so um uh, our our website is uh org, and we also have we have quite quite a few resources we also have a we have a face we have a bunch of facebook groups so you can look up on facebook look up new mind and you can see um up here is where i here it is how I, I that's spell, our, spell our name, um, that's why you are who you are, yeah. And so, th- that way, we you know, you can find different groups that might be the right one for you. I spend most of my time on our research Facebook group, not not surprisingly, uh, where people share uh, questions or, or we learn from each other. Um, we also have um, a, a new uh, offering for families called My DSC My Down Syndrome Community, where you can sign up on our website and. It has lots of resources, uh, it provides information on medical care, so specialty medical care. As I said, that's a problem that we don't have a lot of access to, uh, particularly for adults. So you can find uh, information about access accessing um, medical care. And you can ask questions of, of expert physicians on, our, on the MyDSC app. We also, if you're interested in participating in research, there's research opportunities that you can do from home. I mentioned the MAP habit. Um, study we just completed that was something that people did at home uh we have a we have a program for for people who are concerned about alzheimer's disease called my goal now so this is for caregivers and it'd be something that they could download on their computer home computer or their smartphone to just to track symptoms that they're concerned about as people might be progressing their loved one might be progressing toward alzheimer's disease and and we also have a we do surveys from time to time we have one open right now we have a caregiver survey um uh, that that people may be interested in participating in. It's done with um, um, a, um, a professor at, at, at Boston University as well. So um, we're 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 trying to to provide as much as we can, and and we have um, uh, we also have resources where people can look up ongoing clinical trials. And we're running a, a natural history study right now called the Life DSR study of adults with Down syndrome age 25 and older who are at risk for Alzheimer's disease, and trying to learn. Um, what we can about them so those are all the things those are some of the things that we're doing wow but you can learn more on our website for sure
1: tremendous tremendous work and uh you want to tell our audience just a little bit about your uh your partner in crime there your ceo
0: campus hillerstrom is uh yeah he's he's a a great guy he's not only is he our president and ceo and our um we're trying to um Much of this I have just mentioned is his vision of uh, how to help and support people with Down syndrome, but he was also the father of a seven-year-old named Oscar who has Down syndrome as well. And um, he's a delightful, uh, delightful kid. And um, he keeps Hampus busy and he inspires um, Hampus. And I would also say we have a board that um, is made up of mostly of of parents with with, uh, the kids with Down syndrome who really keep us um, focused on um what is important
1: that's great well tell Hampus i want to meet oscar
0: <laughs> he's he's fun. he's uh, he's a good kid he's a lot of a lot of energy though boy like most seven-year-old boys i would say <laughs> that's
1: great well dr jim Hendricks, phd Lumind idsc thank you so much for all you're doing for so many for all of us with different brains. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you uh, being on our show today. Thank you so much. No, this
0: is great. I could go on and on and on talking about some of these topics you, you hit You hit me where I live on a few topics today. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains visit us at differentbrains.org